I'm so excited. Uh, I believe that God uh, has an encounter for us this morning um, of his freedom. And as obviously Galatians 4, as we just kind of read it together, the, the, the central theme of this chapter, and as we were worshiping, even praising God this morning, we are unashamedly leaning into uh, the freedom of Christ today. Uh, so I want to start by just telling us a, a story out of Luke chapter 8. So amazing story, amazing account. You, you probably, if you've been around church, have heard some of these stories before. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's kind of wild. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a racy story from Luke 8. You'll know what I mean in a second when we, when we get there, okay? But in Luke chapter 8, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with a couple pieces of bread and some fish, and he hops in a boat with his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee, right? You guys, some of you familiar with the story? Jesus has been working hard. Jesus was a hardworking guy, okay? And he decided on this boat trip across the Sea of Galilee to go beneath the deck and catch some Z's, take a little nap. How many just need to get real spiritual sometimes like Jesus and take a nap? He's taking a nap. And this storm comes across the Sea of Galilee, all right? A raging storm comes across the Sea of Galilee, so much so these guys that were his friends, his, his students, the disciples, most of them had spent their entire life on the water. And this storm was raging so intensely that they were freaking out. They run beneath the deck. They wake up Jesus. Gee, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? They wake him up from a, probably a killer nap, and he does two things. First of all, he rebukes them, okay? He looks at them, and he goes, did you not, have you not been hanging out with me long enough to know that there's something going on, some power going on? I just multiplied bread for 5,000. He rebukes them. He looks at them. He says, ye have little faith. And then he gets out onto the, the edge of the boat, and he looks at the storm, and he just says, peace. He rebukes the storm. He rebukes his friends, and then he rebukes the storm, and it completely settles. This account in Luke 8 says that the disciples were afraid. They looked at Jesus in this moment, and they said, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? They were afraid. Story's not over. The boat lands on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, Luke 8. Next verse, it says, as soon as Jesus stepped off the boat onto the land, he was met by a different kind of storm. A demon-afflicted, demon-possessed man came running out from the tombs, naked, racy story, okay, naked, freaking out under the affliction and under the bondage of Satan, and, and comes and basically encounters Jesus, there's this incredible story where this man encounters Jesus, who we're going to see this morning, the scripture called the anointed one. He was anointed by the spirit and power of God to bring freedom for those that are oppressed, and freedom for the captives. This man was a captive. And how many of you know, if he calmed the store that was storm that was raging over the Sea of Galilee, his disciples should have known that what was about to happen was he was going to calm the storm that was raging inside of this man's heart. This man encountered the Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus' life. And how many of you know that when the Holy Spirit shows up, all other spirits have to leave? And this man got set free in a second. He got completely delivered from the 
demonic, unclean activity that was holding him in captivity and in bondage. He got completely free. His testimony was so disruptive to the city that the people came out from the city to see this guy. Now, if you live in a city, actually some of us might, where people run around naked, right, screaming in graveyards, then this miracle would have blown your mind. So the city comes out to see this guy and they find him no longer naked, clothed and seated at the feet of Jesus, scripture says, in his right mind. He encountered the one that was anointed in the Holy Spirit and it set him free from all the other bondage, the storm that was raging inside of him. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm here to tell you today that this true gospel that we've been studying about in the book of Galatians is 100% aimed at setting the captives free, setting you and me free. It is 100% aimed at liberating humanity from the corruption and the bondage that sin and Satan creates. I'm here to tell you this morning that religion, the loop of the law that Ots did such a great job preaching of this week, can never duplicate the transforming power of the Spirit of God in the presence of Jesus Christ. So we're going to dive in to Galatians 4, and uh, I want to do a very brief recap on a couple of verses in chapter 3. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians 3 and 4 if you're not there yet. They'll also be up on the screen. But I want to recap just a couple verses in 3 because it's important for us to understand the flow of thought, the progression of this letter and what Paul, the revelation that he is bringing. So we're going to be in 3, 11 through 14, just for a couple minutes and launch into chapter 4. It says this, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit, somebody say promised spirit, through faith. So, there's three things here I want to point out about these couple of verses before we go into chapter 4. And listen, we're going to be kind of theologically heavy on the front end this morning, but I promise you we're going to be very practical on the back end. We're not going to just talk about freedom today. We are actually going to get set free this morning, okay? So if you came in here today a little heavy or a little discouraged or a little just bummed out about the battles that you've been losing, I just want to say I am so glad you're here. I am so glad you brought your heaviness in here. I am so glad you brought your bondage in here. There is no better place for you to bring your struggles, trials, and your bondage than to the place where the Spirit of the Lord is present and there's freedom. So three things from Galatians 3 real quick. Number one, at the heart of the book of Galatians is a gospel controversy over the question of justification, okay? Justification is a courtroom legal term. I'm going to define it for you. It is the action of declaring or making somebody righteous in God's sight. So can we just get on the same page real quick, okay, that 
in and of ourselves, okay, um, none of us are right in God's sight, okay? Can we just like level the playing field here, okay? We ain't right, all right? Like, like something is wrong deep within us. Now listen, listen, you, your design is beautiful. Your potential is incredible. But sin so deeply permeated the world that we live in and us that it has left us sick at such a deep level. Left to ourselves, guys, we are not morally right. Can I get an amen? Okay. All right. If we can't start there, then you can't acknowledge that you're not okay in and of yourself, then you can't, you're not going to make it very far this morning, okay? So is there anything then that can declare us right in God's eyes when we're so clearly all across the field here not right left to ourselves? And number two, the resoundingly clear answer of the book of Galatians as to this question of justification is that it is faith alone in the blood of Jesus alone that can make us right in God's eyes, that can allow broken, not right people to stand in God's presence and be justified, faith alone and the blood of Christ alone. But if you caught it here at the end of this little passage that we just read, this faith positions us. Ots did such a great job last week. We believe and we receive. You guys remember what we receive? We receive the, what he calls the blessing of Abraham, which is just cool if you're a Bible student. But he says we receive the promised spirit through faith. Say that again with me. We receive the promised spirit through faith. So here's why this is so cool, all right? Because a couple thousand years of biblical revelation of God's redemptive story was setting us up for the moment where we would get the holiness of God inside of us. Can I get an amen? Or did we just fly that one straight over? A few thousand years of redemptive history, starting with Abraham, because he calls this the blessing of Abraham. So if, you, if you're new to the Bible, Abraham's at the very beginning of this story of what God's been doing. A few thousand years of biblical revelation are culminating with God making a way to put his holiness, because the, the, the Holy Spirit, what kind of spirit is he? He's holy. So if you believe in Jesus and receive a Holy Spirit inside of you, I got news for you. You can try to keep sinning and living your old way and doing this, but as soon as holiness gets inside of you, it's like you're done. You can't even enjoy it anymore. Am I talking to anybody this morning? You can try to hang on to your old ways of your ignorance, but once holiness gets inside of you, it's like you're infiltrated with some heavenly substance, and it's like you can fight it, you can harden your heart to it, you can ignore it, or you can yield to it and, 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 and get clean with him. And so this is the beauty. Religion, this is what he's saying in the book of Galatians. Religion, trying all this stuff on the outside to get better, can never duplicate getting holiness inside of me. All right, so... This is how he's launching us in to chapter 4 with this understanding that we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit by faith. And now watch in chapter 4 what this spirit in us, watch what he brings, okay? Check out verse 4. We're going to read verse 4 through 9 in Galatians 4, all right? We're going to break it up into a couple verses at a time. 
It says here in Galatians 4, 4. When the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent forth his son. Can we get an amen? He sent forth his son. John 3.16 said, God so loved the world that he sent his son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish in their sin and corruption, would have everlasting life. Everything we're about to read from this point forward was motivated by the love of God for you. You have to hear that this morning. Everything that we're about to read was motivated by God's love for you. He sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right, I said we're going to be theologically heavy. I'm going to define these two words, redeem and adoption, okay? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a student of the word of God, you have got to fall in love with the gospel that gripped you, that saved you out of the grip of Satan, okay? It is not okay if you are a follower of Jesus for you to not know what words like justification, redemption, and adoption mean. That is not, that is not condemnation. That is just a father saying, hey, 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 come on. We got to fall in love with this message that has saved us from the grip of the enemy, all right? To redeem, check this out, means to regain, to regain possession of something. Don't miss it. Regain possession of something in exchange for a payment, all right? So God created you to be his, right? But like the prodigal son in the story that we share so often, we actually left God's house. He created you to be his, but we actually left his house in exchange for the party. And Romans says that we become slaves to the ones that we obey, all right? So when we made an allegiance with with Satan and with sin, we actually became legal property of Satan. We became legal property. We became his slaves. Okay, so anybody uh, seen the Chronicles of Narnia? Any Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe fans? Okay, so in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this incredible scene. Okay, Edmund, who's one of the, the, he's one of the brothers of the four kids in Narnia, he betrays his family for some Turkish delight. You guys remember this scene, right? He's eating this Turkish delight, and he unknowingly pledges allegiance to the white witch who is the evil ruler that is trying to infiltrate Narnia and has Narnia in the grip of this bondage of this ice storm, okay? She's the white witch. He becomes her property through his own sin and betrayal, okay? And there's this scene where the white witch comes into Aslan's camp to claim Edmund as her property. Have you guys seen this before, right? Because under the law that rules the land of Narnia, he belonged to her. There's this private meeting. Aslan pulls the white witch into his tent, and he has this private meeting with the witch, and he strikes the only agreement with her that can rescue Edmund from his slavery Aslan's blood in exchange for his freedom. If you've seen the scene before, they come out from the tent and, and Aslan announces, he goes, the white witch has released her claim on the son of Adam. And everybody cheers. Woo! They have no idea what was talked about. They have no idea what it will cost. But everybody's cheering because Edmund has been released from his bondage to the white Witch. And if you've seen it, obviously, later that night, Aslan slips off in the middle of the night because the agreement was his blood in exchange for Edmund's life. He was redeeming 
Edmund. He was regaining possession of Edmund at the payment of his own blood. And this gospel says that this is why Jesus came, to make the payment of his own blood so that he could regain possession of you and adopt you into God's family. See, think about it. Adoption is literally when you take somebody else's child and pull them into your family and raise them. Don't miss this. You were adopted. If you, if you believe and receive the blood of Jesus, you've been adopted. That means you were somebody else's child. I know we like to all say we're all children of God. I'm telling you in love, biblically, it's just not true. You have not always been a child of God. Uh, Ephesians 2, I want to show it to you. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, that all of us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Y'all can read the white on white there. We used to live when we followed the ways of this world, okay, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, okay, this, our allegiance was to the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest of mankind, all of mankind, look what it says here, get that next slide up for me, like the rest we were deserving of wrath, if the, the ESV actually says in Ephesians 2 that like the rest of mankind, we were children of wrath, okay? You, you have not always been a child of God. You actually started like Edmund, okay, in allegiance to the white witch, her property. So guys, this is good news, okay? We gotta be, we, some of us, we've grown dull in our affections for God because we forgot where we came from, y'all. We've grown a little lazy and a little sleepy in our praise and our affection for this one who ransomed us with the pouring out of his own blood. And we're sitting here coming into worship with our hands in our pockets because we forgot, man, we belong to the devil. We, were, we had pledged allegiance to him and it was nothing less than the blood of God himself that could buy us back that could buy us back and adopt us into his family. Now check this out, verse six and seven. Now because you are sons, okay, the blood of Jesus, you believe in the blood of Jesus, you are, his payment redeems you from slavery, you get adopted. Now because you are sons, check this out, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. Oh, man, I just wish one person was excited about their freedom this morning, other than my wife in the back who's shouting me down, okay? You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, isn't it interesting that it says you're no longer a slave, but a son, instead of you're no longer a slave, but you're free, right? Isn't that what you would maybe expect him to say? You're no longer a slave. No, he says you're no longer a slave, you're a son. Why? Because biblical sonship is completely interchangeable with freedom, all right? Freedom and sonship are one and the same thing. It is what Jesus paid for. So I'm here to tell you this morning, 
that if you are shackled today as a believer, you are wrapped up, enslaved, and bondage to something that is not of God's kingdom, then you have been shackled one day too long. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is what he paid for so that you could get it. That's why it's called an inheritance. Y'all heard of this word inheritance before? Okay. An inheritance is you get something somebody else worked for. Man, just take that in for a second. You get to receive as a gift something that somebody else paid for. Your inheritance as a son or daughter of God is to be free. You ain't got to work for it. There's some stuff you got to submit to and obey. And we're going to get really practical here in a second. But I'm saying... Jesus fought and won the battle for your freedom. Jesus paid the price for your freedom. So if you are a child of God and you are not living in freedom, you are living far beneath the inheritance that God created for you to possess on this earth, okay? Now, here's why this is such a big deal. Let's keep going, verse 8 and 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, he, he, his mind is blown. How can you turn back to, to the weak and worthless principles of the world whose slaves you want to be? He's like, what? Like, Edmund, if you've seen the rest of the movie, man, he got purchased out of a bad situation, right? He was property of the white witch. And that moment changed his life, man. Edmund never turned back. He actually became an incredible hero of the story at the end of the film, if you remember. He's like, this guy, Paul's mind, he's like, how could you turn back after being redeemed and adopted out of the darkness? He's like, what? Are you noticing the language of slavery that's at the heart of this discussion? Are you hearing it? Are you hearing it? Slavery, you're wanting to be slaves again. Guys, here's, I'm going to pick up my water ball for a second. Look at your neighbor say, man, this is a good word. The word of God is cool. Somebody. The language of slavery is at the center of this thing. And here's why. The primary identifying marker of Satan's kingdom is slavery and bondage. Here's how I know that's true. Jesus made this statement. You've heard this before. I see, he says, and I will tell you the truth, and the truth will set you. Okay. I don't know if you can tell, but my life has been radically set free by the love of God and the price that Jesus paid on the cross. So I'm going to invite you. I'm going to give you another freebie at that one, okay? Let's try to do that again like we believe that what we're talking about this morning is true. Because part of this morning, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm not doing this to be mean, I'm saying, guys, some of us are sleepy. We've gotten sleepy on our freedom. We've fallen asleep to what Jesus has rescued us out of, all right? So I am unashamedly inviting us, some of us, out of our sleepiness this morning. Because Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the truth always sets you free, right, and Satan's name is the father of lies, okay, then if the truth will set you free, then lies will put you in 
bondage. So he's not just the father of lies. He's the father of slavery. He's the father of bondage. He's the father of everything that traps you and robs from you and steals life from you and corrupts you. He is the father. The primary marker of his kingdom is slavery and bondage. The primary identifying marker of God's children is freedom. So much so, Romans 8, that it says in Romans 8 that all of creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of God's sons. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free. God not, Jesus didn't just come to set you free. He came to set the creation of the world that's been corrupted by the devil. He, and the creation is longing to be set free from its bondage to corruption. To, somebody please read that with me. To obtain the freedom of the glory of who? The children of God. Okay. The primary mark of your life as a child of God should be freedom. Should be freedom. 100%. It's not unclear in the Bible. We're going to go there, okay? Your new identity in Jesus is that uh, as a free son or a free daughter in the kingdom. And it is mission critical, not just for our city, but apparently for the creation of the world, that we step into the freedom as God's children. So I want to tell you three things this morning about biblical freedom and then we're going to get really practical about how to get free. Uh, and then, guys, I'm just going to tell you where we're going. We're going to have some life group leaders and staff come up here on the edge. And if you need to get free this morning, there's going to be an opportunity for you to lean in and come after your inheritance, okay? And then if you just want to get crazy and worship today because you are free, we're going to make room. And we're going to rip the lid off this thing a little bit because the children of God have a mandate, and that's to be free. And if we're not living free, we are living below what Jesus paid for, all right? So three things I want to tell you this morning about biblical freedom. Number one, freedom from sin and corruption was and is the primary mission of the Messiah to planet Earth. This is not a side conversation. Oh, man, I'm so glad that we talk about freedom every once in a while in church. No, 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 no. This is the primary mission of Jesus was to bring freedom to those that were in slavery and corruption to the devil. Isaiah 61, check this out. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Check this out. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I got really good news for you this morning, okay? It's not repetition that he says liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. Because how many know there's actually a difference between somebody that's captive and somebody that's in prison. This is good news. No matter where you're coming from this morning, this is good news. Okay? Usually people are in captivity because of somebody else's sin. Following with me? There are some of you that are in bondage to some sin or darkness in your life. That was not primarily your fault. It started because somebody else sinned against you and it opened a door for your bondage. Now, you are responsible to get free and Jesus has made a way for you to get free. But you are, I would categorize you as a captive because your bondage is primarily the result of somebody else's 
sin. But he also mentions prisoners. Usually people are in prison, not because of somebody else's sin, but why? Because of their own sin. Some of you are in bondage this morning, are in captivity this morning, because of your own sin, your own choices. You are a prisoner. Is anybody thankful that the Spirit of God was upon Jesus not to just rescue those that are in captivity because of somebody else's sin, but to come for the prisoners that are locked up because of their own choices. He's coming for all of you. He's coming for all of us. No matter where your bondage ori originated, his primary mission was to come and bring, make you free. Secondly, about freedom. I already said this, so we're not going to stop here. It's your primary inheritance as a child of God is to be free. It's your primary inheritance. And the third thing, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, but I promise you I am doing this in love to bring clarity. How many of you guys know that clarity is super helpful, but sometimes you read something in the Word of God that you can't unread? You're like, oh, wow. I kind of wish I would have kept that one closed today. You know, like, man. So, so if you're not interested in your inheritance of freedom, you might want to just plug up your ears or, or take, you know, take a potty break. Because this is one of those verses that you cannot unsee. And I am bringing it to you in love that you might be free. Okay? 1 John 3, the third thing I want to tell you about freedom is that it is the primary evidence of the children of God. The primary evidence that you are actually have been born again is that you're free. 1 John 3, 7 through 10, before I ruffle your feathers, I'm just going to let the word of God do it. It says, little children, look, hey. Let no one deceive you. Okay, this is about deception. Remember, who's the father of lies? S Satan. Okay, lies always create bondage. So the father of lies is the father of bondage. He's saying, hey, wake up. Don't be deceived. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Look, the reason the Son of God appeared, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of God is upon me, was to destroy the works of the devil, which is primarily to lie to you and put you in slavery. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Look what it says. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, remember that Holy Spirit thing, right? He gets holiness inside of you. God's seed abides in him, not a law on the outside. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Remember I said you weren't always a child of God. There's two families here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So post that on your Instagram and, you know, convict a bunch of people today. You ain't even saved, man. So, sorry, a little lighthearted there at the end because I, this is heavy, all right? But look, are you feeling, you know that the Holy Spirit is among us to bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. I keep kicking over my water bottle. The Holy Spirit, it is his kindness that leads us to conviction and repentance. The word of God is clear. That freedom from sin and corruption is the evidence of those that have been born again. 
This is John's exclama- explanation of Jesus' famous statement, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Freedom is the primary identifying marker of God's children. Are you convinced yet? Are you convinced yet that the primary mission of Jesus was your freedom? Are you convinced yet that your primary inheritance in his blood is to actually be free? Are you convinced? So how do we get free if we're not? Maybe you're hearing this morning going, Chris, I've never lived that way. I've been a believer for 20 years. I've been a believer for five years. I've never been fully free. You saying we can actually be fully free from the habitual, cyclical practice and partnership of sin in our lives? We can actually be fully free? Yes, that is what I'm telling you. As somebody that did not grow up in the church, as somebody that did not grow up in the house of God, as somebody that was a full-on slave to alcohol, pornography, and a host of other things by the time I was 18 years old and then met Jesus in my dorm room at Texas A&M 20 years ago. And, and, and look, look, I can stand here today. It's, not everything happens overnight. There's a process. We're going to talk about the practicals. But I can stand here today and tell you that I am before God. I am walking and before my wife who knows me better than anybody else, okay, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, and that there has been a total revolution and freedom from the bondage that crippled me for the first half of my life. Not because I'm so amazingly good at walking it out, but because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And if you just know how to partner with the holiness that's already inside of you, somebody, you can be free. Here's practicals. How do I get free? Number one, you have to believe that you can be free. If you don't believe that you can be free, you will stay lockstep with the father of bondage your whole life. 2 Peter chapter 1 says his divine power has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory by which he granted us these precious promises. Check this out. Next verse. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What? Holiness got inside of you, partaker of the divine nature. Read it. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You're never going to be free if you don't believe that you can be. You can escape. How? Well, it's easy. Stop it. (laughs) Just repent and obey God. Okay, no, it's, I'm serious. I'm serious. Look, before Christ, you had no choice but to be a slave, okay? On this side of holiness inside of you, if you are a slave, it is because you chose it and you keep choosing it. I'm saying that to you in love. On the other side of his death and resurrection and his Holy Spirit inside of you, if you are a slave, it's on you. You had no choice beforehand. So you need to repent of your choice to sin and be in bondage. And you need to obey God. The thing is that when we fail as believers, the enemy comes right into our failure and he says, look, look, look. Hey, see, look, you're a slave. But here's the deal. As a child of God, you actually are not a slave. That's the lie. He comes in. He's already lost you. The blood of Jesus already pulled you out of his camp. 
But you, you fail or you get hung up into something because of your choosing and the enemy comes and looks, yeah, I got you, you're my slave. You are not his slave. You are not cast out the son of the slave woman. It says at the end of this chapter, cast out the son of the slave woman. There's no inheritance of the son of the slave woman with the children of the free. You're not his slave. You put yourself in chains. Get out of them. Repent and obey God. And you do that by walking in the light. 1 John 1, 5. It says he is light. There's no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and we keep walking in darkness, man, we're lying. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Life group leaders and staff, come up on these edges over here. Come on right now. Life group leaders and staff, because we're going to make space to walk in the light. Because here's the deal, okay? One of the primary gifts that God has given to you for your freedom. Can I hang? Yeah, this is great right here. I want to keep the middle part op open here as well. One of the primary gifts, look to your left. Somebody look to your left. Okay, look at the person on your left. Look to your right. Look at the person on your right. One of the primary tools God has given you to get set free other than putting his holiness inside of you is the person sitting on your right and on your left, okay? Because you cannot get out of your bondage unless you're walking out in the light with somebody else. And so if you need to repent and obey God today, these are our life group leaders, staff, everything is confidential, okay? I promise you, they have all had their own bondage in their own life. They might need to turn around and repent to you after you repent to them, okay? Because just because you're on staff at a church or leading a life group doesn't mean you're walking in the light and free. But we want to make some space for you to come up here and get your inheritance. Am I talking to anybody this morning? All right? And I want to close with this testimony just to encourage you. My friend John, I have changed his name for the sake of uh, anonymity or however you say that word. Sorry, that was terrible. Um, uh, I've changed his name. But my, my friend John, I want to just read this testimony real quick. John is the life of the party and an anointed worship leader. Always positive, always there for others, always serving the church. This is nobody in this room, okay? Don't, don't, don't worry. When he leads worship, people often encounter the life-changing presence of God, but on the inside, John is dying. His life is a lie. He's secretly trapped in an addictive cycle of sexual sin. The sad thing is that John has had several seasons of sustained freedom, but the stress and isolation of the pandemic created space for this addiction to explode in his life again. Am I talking to anybody this morning? He had been stuck and hiding now for over a year, all the while continuing to serve the church as an anointed worship leader. But before you judge him, let me tell you about his childhood. John was sexually abused by his sister when he was 11 years old, and a year later he was accidentally exposed to homosexual pornography at age 12. Now at 25 years old, he is struggling with his sexual identity as he wrestles with an addiction to homosexual pornography. The saddest part of it is that I've shared life and ministry with John for the past two years, and I had no idea this was going on in his life until three weeks ago. We're sitting having breakfast, and in a spirit-led moment, I pressed in and I asked him about his freedom. Some of you need to press into your friends today and ask them about their freedom. John broke. He broke in the most beautiful way you can break. 
You see, John has been living under what I call the illusion of bondage, the belief that you're a slave when actually you are not. John came into the light that morning and was met with the loving embrace of the gospel. The addiction broke in an instant, and to this moment, he's been walking free for the last three weeks. Now, you might be saying, three weeks, three weeks. How many of you wish you could get three weeks of freedom from your bondage? John texted me this. I said, hey man, can I anonymously share your testimony? I said, how's your freedom doing? He said, man, what a loaded question, but I'm glad you asked. The depth to which Jesus has set me completely free is being revealed to me more and more each day, and it's beautiful. It started with stepping fully into the light, and yes, I mean fully. That was arguably one of the most painful and uncomfortable conversations I've ever stepped into. But on the other side of obedience and confession and repentance was so much freedom, dude. You saw the start of it. And I've been living out the rest for the last three weeks. But I actually believe I'm never going back. I actually believe that I'm never going back. And the biggest temptation... The biggest temptation I have now is to run and hide so that nobody else knows again. But the more honest I am with the people on my right and on my left, the more empowered I am to walk free. And the Holy Spirit keeps reminding me who I am.